Thank you for tuning in to our podcast recorded live each week. Now sit back and enjoy the award-winning Tony Sanders Outdoor Show. Tighten your life vest, strap into your tree stand, and get ready for the award-winning Tony Sanders Outdoors. Your source for outdoor information, education, and entertainment. Now, here are your hosts, Tony Sanders and Rob Pratula. Good morning, Chattanooga area. Tony Sanders Outdoors is live. On the air from the banks of the beautiful Tennessee River. Good morning, Trout Professor. I think you should call me a brim bum at this point. Brim bum, Trout yeah. Professor, Bass Buster. Bass Assassin. Bass Assassin. I went out uh, brim fishing with my new friend uh, Tony Pardue and uh, brought out my little three weight and was going to brim fish with him. Little did I know Mr. Bass was going to be out there. Two big Mr. Basses. and uh, So how's Bass on the three weight? Uh, it was really interesting trying to pull those things in on a three-way rod. I can tell you that right now. And uh, it, I, the the mayfly hatch is on at the moment. I can tell you that in certain parts of Hamilton County, and the what is it, Amphoroptera, the mayfly is big and bad. And we were catching fish left, right, and sideways. It is on right now. But it's only going to last another couple of days, so get out there and fish while you can. You know, I you throw out the big scientific word for a mayfly, which mayfly is much easier to say. And I'm thinking, or thinking, all right, I got two scientists here. Well, there's like forty something species of mayfly. It's a mayfly. No, I don't care. Well, no, it's a bass turn on. Yeah, but these are the bug. These are the big ones. I mean, the big, you know, like these are steaks as opposed to the little M M&M and M. Is it still a mayfly? Technically, yes. Okay. Is any word, is there any adjective attached to a mayfly that describes size unless you add it? Can you say large mayfly, small mayfly? Big honking mayfly. Big honking mayfly? Yeah, that's what we had. So it's a mayfly. A big one. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm I'm the heck with the mayflies unless snakes eat them. Snakes that. I believe they actually will participate in that. Sure, some some younger snakes especially. Uh, that voice you hear is uh, Paul Eric Buckland, who is uh, the the first snake guy that's been willing to come in here in twelve years. Thank goodness we've got a snake guy in finally. <laughs> you have become the official snake person of Tony Sanders Outdoors. Great. We, uh, you know, this is something that I've been so excited about since uh, since you agreed to come in here. There is so much misconception, misinformation, uh, false information about snakes. Yeah. People freak out about snakes. Um, there's no good snake but a dead snake. I, I see this stuff, and, and it was, it's funny. There was, um, uh, you may have, I tagged you in all the kind of promoting of the show. Mm hmm. But I was I was on this um, hunting forum, deer hunting forum, and there were t- there's some guy had a picture of a dead snake. And as, as the wildlife commissioner, I, I usually don't go out on Facebook as the wildlife commissioner much, <laughs> but in this case, I did. And I pulled up the Tennessee page mm-hmm. of you know 
it is illegal to kill snakes in Tennessee. And and it, but anyway, it's just like you know, let's let's don't advertise that you're killing snakes. And then, but what concerned me much more than anything was all the posts in there that talked about oh, the best snake is a dead snake. And even I, who am not a snake guy, now if it was spiders, I agree, the best spider is a dead <laughs> spider. But as far as snakes is concerned, I even I know that not all snakes are bad. Sure. And and actually, all snakes are not bad unless you're in a bad situation with one of them. Yeah. That can not do you do mm-hmm. you well. So, we're so excited you came in. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. And uh, you are uh, educated in this world mm-hmm. of of snakes and uh, I don't uh, give a little bit of your background because congratulations, you just defended your thesis on. Actually, amphibians is that right? Is that it's an right? amphibian disease, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, which is right up your alley, there, dude. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so, I I studied biology at the University of Tennessee Chattanooga um, as an undergrad, and then I just finished my master's in environmental science. And this whole time, um, I was under the guidance of my advisor, Dr. Thomas Wilson, over there, who's who's really the um, you know the herpetologist in in this area. And uh, I'm I'm just super thankful for everything I learned during that process, and I I got to be involved with um, several different herp projects, um, some snake stuff, turtle stuff, salamanders, frogs. So I kind of got to cover the board in many ways. That's cool. What got you interested in snakes? I mean, most people quote run from snakes, and here you are going, hey, I like this stuff. You know, I think in some ways it's it's kind of in my DNA. I, I was kind of born into it. My mom has three brothers two of which were, were very into reptiles. Um, and so it was something I kind of grew up around because they had snakes and we'd go out looking for snakes. And it's just always been something that uh, was interesting to me. And so, you know, I decided to um, study it in, in, in uh, an academic sense later on in life. The um, and, and we're going to get into... Uh, all kinds of snuff. I mean, we got two hours. We, we, we've we already chained him to the table. He can't get away. <laughs> we're going to get into two hours of snakes. Great. And, uh, you know, you were talking, you were fishing and crawling down through the banks and mm-hmm. over rocks. That oh, yeah. Did, heated by the sun. Did you see any snakes? I did not yesterday, but I've come across a lot of, uh, I, I don't know if they're common water snakes or broad-banded water snakes, but I come across a lot of the water snakes. Mm-hmm. And... Let's go ahead and dispel one of the myths right now. Any snake you see in the water is a cottonmouth. <laughs> yeah, that, that's something you hear commonly, um, and that, that is not, not the case, yeah. es- especially here because in East Tennessee we actually don't have any cottonmouths or water moccasins as, as they're well, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're telling me that all the people that I see posting <laughs> that are fishing Chickamauga, they're not running into cottonmouths and water snakes? No. I mean, a cottonmouth or, or what? Um, Water moccasins. Water moccasins. Yeah. yeah. No, and that's, you know, that's one of the most common misconceptions um, for this area is I I hear people people say that all the time. You know, I found this cottonmouth or I was chased by a cottonmouth or, uh, you know, things like that. They're so aggressive. It swam right up and got in the boat with me. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I I heard a story a while back about a guy that had been chased out of the water by a cottonmouth, and it chased him up on land and chased him all the way to his truck, and he just barely jumped in his truck in time, and it struck at the door and left a scratch mark on the door. <laughs> I mean, you hear these absolutely fantastic stories that uh, this don't, don't have a, a shred of truth. <laughs> this is getting to the realm of, like, Bigfoot sightings at this point. Exactly, yeah. So in this area, uh, I'm not going to be skiing on the lake and 
fall into a uh, a bed of cotton mouth? No, no. You mean that was that's like green eyes? <laughs> God, you've already dispelled the one myth that I remember. It kept me in a boat all my life. <laughs> I'm sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> well, when I was crawling around the rocks, I did look and put my foot down because I know there are the you know the common water snake and the the broadband and they they are aggressive. They they can be mean when you know if they're disturbed. You know if I'm coming down and put my foot on them, they're going to get a little upset. Sure, but you know I was trying to watch my foot footing and you know just kind of tap my foot a couple of times before I get down there. Didn't have any problems, but yeah, I've been fishing quite a lot in a, a few creeks and seen a few snakes. You know, in the water. Mm-hmm. You know, I just give them a wide berth and you know they leave me alone. I leave them alone and we're we're all good. Absolutely. But you know, but. One of the common myths around here is that, oh, any snake in the water, right? it's a cottonmouth. Well, and that's been passed down from generation to generation. And so you can't really hold it against people that, that they believe that because they learned that from their father or their grandfather, someone they trust, and that, that goes back a, a long ways. You know, I do remember hearing many stories of people um, falling off of skis into uh, beds of Cottonmouth. Nest of cottonmouth. Yeah, exactly. A nest of, thank you. Nest of cottonmouth. I've heard that all my life. I have too. Uh, And it's just not true. No. No. So we, cottonmouths, we do have cottonmouths in Tennessee. Right. um, But they're largely restricted to West Tennessee. There's a couple of isolated populations in in Middle Tennessee. Um, But if you look at a range map, they don't don't really even come um, all the way up in Northwest Georgia. Uh, essentially, you don't really start getting cottonmouths in nor- northwest Georgia until you get closer to Atlanta. Um, and so East Tennessee, essentially because of the type of ecoregion, and it, we just don't really have the right habitat for them, so they're not here. So in uh, when you say West Tennessee, are they do they pretty much stop at the Tennessee River over on that end of the, of the river, or do they come past that? You know, um, because that's what, south of Paris... You know, there's kind of a line there. So. Yeah, um, I, I'd have to I'd have to look at the range map. I think I think that's right. But yeah, it's 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 essentially the the western um, third of Tennessee. All right, so we don't have cotton mouse here. Look out, Memphis. <laughs> um, do we have poisonous snakes here? We do. Yes. Right. So we have um, of the 34 species of snake in Tennessee, uh, we have four venomous snakes here, um, but in East Tennessee, we only have two venomous snakes. So we have the timber rattlesnake and we have the copperhead. And they're both fairly distinctive. And that's something I like to tell people is, you know, if you're worried about snakes, the best thing you can do is to learn the venomous snakes in your area. And this applies to anywhere, not just not just East Tennessee. Um, just learn the venomous snakes in your area. And then you know um, everything else is, is nothing to worry about. And realistically, venomous snakes aren't anything to worry about either as long as you treat them with respect and give them their distance. So do you think all of the um, concern and all of the misinformation about snakes is just a function of people not understanding them? Yeah, I do. I absolutely do think that's the case. I think that the fear is um, blown way out of proportion because when you look at statistics, snake bites, Snake bite fatalities are extremely rare in the United States. You get, on average, about five a year, which is statistically zero, um, like zero percent of right. the population. Um, I, I saw a statistic somewhere that, that, that said 
you're nine times more likely to die from being struck by lightning than you are to die from being snake bit. Um, and so I, I think that it's largely blown way out of proportion. Yeah, I think it is probably even bigger number than that. Yeah. Uh, if, if you're only talking about five deaths a year out of the, the thousands and thousands of deaths we have in the U.S. Well, what that suggests, too, is is the vast majority of people that are bitten by venomous snakes survive. Um, and, and that's largely thanks to, you know, um, good hospitals and treatment, that, that sort of thing. And we knew, uh, we'll, we'll get into that, too, uh, at some point, about what to do if you are bitten sure. by a snake. And I was going to ask, on, on mo- mo- <laughs> I'm sorry, I've heard some stories about that, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and one of my favorite jokes is, um, yeah, you're going to die. You're going to die, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I was going to ask you, uh, and we'll get into this uh, after we get back from the break, but... Most of the venomous snake bites, we've, we've done stories. We have this whole section of our radio show called Idiots Outdoors. And <laughs> a guy picks up a cotton mouth and is, you know, trying, he was going to kiss it on the lips. Oh, yeah. And got bit in the face. Are most of the venomous envenomations, are they due to not respecting the snake and messing around with it and harassing the snake versus, you know, you're just walking through the woods and then. You know, you get hit on the ankle. It, without a doubt, it's from messing with the snake. The okay. vast majority of snake bites are people either trying to catch or kill it. And it's usually somebody that's also inebriated. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> See? Yeah. Don't like be stupid. <laughs> Leave the snake alone. That's yeah. right. Don't drink and play with snake. Don't drink and snake. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> a little bit of a copperhead road as we go out. Kind of appropriate. Tony Sanders Outdoors will be right back. Beatty's Fertilizer in Cleveland, Tennessee are the experts when it comes to lush green lawns. If you're a homeowner, Beatty's has everything you'll need for preparing and maintaining your lawn this spring. They can recommend products designed for this area and provide you with knowledge to have a lawn that is the envy of all your neighbors. If you're a lawn care company owner, Beatty's can formulate special blends for your customers by the pallet. Go to the pros at Beatty's Fertilizer, 472-5491, 472-5491, and check them out at Beatty'sFertilizer.com. If you're looking to target your product or service to the outdoor community, Tony Sanders Outdoors can help. Nearly one-third of the radios are tuned to Tony Sanders Outdoors on Saturday mornings from 5 to 7 a.m. Whether it's a recorded commercial, live reads, remote broadcast, or product endorsements, Tony and Rob can help. Give us a call at 423-280-3677 to discuss your advertising needs. Tony Sanders Outdoors, your outdoor advertising solution. 423-280-3677. Like a good neighbor is not just a saying. It exactly describes my friend, Rodney Allen. For nearly 20 years, my family has relied on Rodney for all of our insurance needs. He's been there when my kids were learning to drive, when my wife had been hit by a few deer, and when I needed life insurance to protect my family, as well as when my grandson was born. As you can see, he's not just our agent. He's part of our life. Rodney Allen, 423-847-3881. Like a good friend, Rodney will be there for your family too. 423-847-3881. Sportsman's Warehouse is a perfect place to shop for all your outdoor equipment. No matter the season, Sportsman's Warehouse friendly staff and knowledgeable experts can assist you in finding what you need for your adventure. If you're a hunter, angler, boater, hiker, camper, or need clothing or shoes, Sportsman's Warehouse has just what you need. If you're looking for a firearm, Sportsman's Warehouse has over a 1,000 guns in the store. 
Now, if you don't see one you want, you can go to sportsmanswarehouse.com and select from over 6,700 guns offered online. Then you can have it shipped directly to the store, everyday low prices, no shipping charges, and no processing fees. Don't forget to sign up and register for the Sportsman's Warehouse loyalty card. This will give you points towards gift cards and special promotions, as well as keeping you informed of upcoming events. Be sure to like them on Facebook for prizes, promotions, as well as things happening at the store. The place to shop for all your outdoor needs. Sportsman's Warehouse. The great indoors for those who love the great outdoors. Highway 153 and Lee Highway. See, this is what I like with professional producers. Your man ran the bait shop. See, look at the one coming up a little bit later. Snakeskin Cowboys. See, we tell Gene, we walk in at quarter to five and say, hey, we got a snake show today. And we got snake music coming. I like this. Mm-hmm. Perfect. There's not. I'm gonna say there's not a lot of snake music. I'm. I'm, I'm thinking there's. You know, he is working hard. I'll give. Him, he's earning his money today. <laughs> Our guest today is Paul Eric Buckland, who is a herpetologist who agreed to come in and be quizzed on snakes. Now it's it's funny. You, you saw I tagged you in my Facebook post mm-hmm. about this. More activity talking about a guest coming up. Just. It, it's just it's been fun to watch. Snake says snakes are those things that just um, people do go in in my mind just a little nutty over, mm-hmm. um, which I'm sure you've seen in studying them and stuff like that. Absolutely. So let's let's start kind of working working through some of the things. What um, just from a protection standpoint or a knowledge standpoint of snakes what should i uh what should i do when i go out in the woods especially as uh early season deer hunter and archer which start in september i mean mm-hmm. let's talk about that let's back up when what is a snake season when are they out when am i going to run into them so to a degree they can be out throughout the year um so for instance last year i found a snake at least one snake every month of the year now, I was out actively looking for them, so the average person just, you know, spending time in the woods may not find one every month. I'm usually not that guy. I'm not <laughs> looking for them. Sure. <laughs> so so typically snake season will last spring through through the fall. Um and and they'll be they'll be underground or deep undercover typically for for most of the winter. Um but as far as, you know, taking precautions out while hunting or fishing, uh, I think the best advice really is just to watch where you're stepping, watch where you're putting your hands, um, look before you sit down up against a log, because um, they often, you know, will use cover like that. Um, so yeah, just just kind of be aware of aware of your surroundings. Now you said we only had two poisonous or venomous snakes in this area: mm-hmm. timber rattlers and uh, cotton. Copperhead. Copperhead. Yeah. Yeah. See, you got me cotton back here. <laughs> Copperheads. Um, are are the rattlers are are they are they pretty common in this area? You know, they they are somewhat common, but you don't you don't see them a lot. I you almost have to be out out looking for them to see them regularly. I think if you spend a lot of time in the woods, especially hunting or or whatever, you're gonna you're gonna encounter them sometimes. Um, but you know they they try to avoid coming in contact with people 
um, just as much as most people try to avoid coming in contact with them. Okay. The uh, am, am I more likely to run into them up in the mountain area than I'm down in the the lower the valleys and things like that, or or is it really doesn't matter? They're just going to be wherever they're at. It it kind of depends on on the time of year, um, but they they can they can move around. Uh, so I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say that you're more likely to run into them in in one habitat or the other because I've definitely found them at higher elevations and I've also found them in in lowland places too. So what about the there's the pygmy rattlesnake? Yeah, pygmy rattlesnake. Now where, where's that one? So it's possible. It's there's a slim possibility that we do have them in East Tennessee. I don't want to say that for sure because they haven't been documented here, but they have been documented as far north as Chatsworth, um, in Georgia. And so there, there's actually some work being done to try to establish the pygmy rattlesnake range in Tennessee because it's not well known. Uh, they, they don't seem to be super abundant in Tennessee, but typically that's more of a Western species as well. All right, going back to our, our last question, you, you found them every month of the year per se, but you like you said, you were out looking for them. Mm-hmm. Snakes are cold-blooded, is that correct? That is correct. So when you see them, a lot of times uh, people see them on the road, they're getting on the asphalt to, mm-hmm. heat, to heat up because they're basically sluggish until they get warmed up and then they're good to go. So yeah. they're like recharging their batteries. So they're looking for like a rock or something warm to lay in sun on. Mm-hmm. So is that why you see a lot of them on the roads? Yeah, absolutely. And and many of them are nocturnal, so they'll forage at night. They'll come out and, and look for prey items at night. And if you've driven down a, a country road on a hot, steamy night, you probably notice that there's lots of amphibians, frogs salamanders on the road as well and so that that's another motivation but yeah you, you're right typically they're they're out soaking up heat because you know that black surface soaks up so much heat throughout the day that at night that's a that's a really attractive spot for snakes to come and uh yeah heat up okay let me ask a silly question i know shakes shakes listen to me. <laughs> snakes shed their skin mm-hmm. so every time they shed they're getting bigger do they do they ever stop grow i mean uh, the theory with fish is, given unlimited size of resources, a goldfish could be, you know, 65 pounds. Given, you know, it's, you know, if it could live that long, it's not uh, growth determinant. It's growth determinant on location and uh, the ecology it's in. Mm-hmm. What about snakes? Did, would they ever stop growing? So yeah, you no, know, you're you're touching on on something important. They they don't technically ever stop growing but they do kind of reach somewhat of a plateau so if you were to look at it as a curve it would be like a sigmoidal curve where it would eventually kind of start to taper off but no they they don't ever stop growing but they definitely slow down the older they get and a lot of that is resource limited okay um now to a common question that i'm that i'm sure a lot of people have when they shed especially with rattlesnakes i've heard the rumor Every time they shed, they grow a rattle. So you can mm-hmm. tell how old a rattlesnake is by counting the rattles on its tail. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that's correct, but I'm going to let the professional answer <laughs> this question. Uh, you know, I wish that's the way it worked because that would you that like would make it much easier. Counting rings on a tree or exactly. something. Exactly. Uh, well, the problem is that snakes shed more than once a year. Um, it's true that when they shed, they do add a, another segment to the rattle. Um, but because they shed more than once a year... Um, that that's problematic. Also, the rattle can sometimes get hung up on something and break off, and so it can be you know shorter than than it would be if if it was one segment per year, uh, etc. So it's that's not a reliable way of aging a rattlesnake. 
That's cool. Yeah. I'm learning all kinds of stuff. <laughs> well, this, this is this is a great segment here. <laughs> you asked for a snake person, and I provided. I appreciate. It. Okay, what do they eat? Uh, it depends on what kind of snake. Small we're children, <laughs> um, well, deer, pets. I've seen the one on on Facebook where it ate a whole deer. And, yeah. You know. Sure. Well, and in some parts of the world, you do, you do have some of that. Um, fortunately for us, we, we don't really have that around here. But uh, it depends on the kind of snake that you're talking about, which species you're, you're talking about. But um, they're largely rodent eaters. Most of them are rodent eaters. Um, but you have some highly specialized snakes that um, you know will specifically eat salamanders or um, specifically eat lizard eggs. Um, but... Most of them are, are generalists to a degree. So, so rodents um, of different sizes, birds, rat snakes and corn snakes love birds. Um, rodents, fish, um, crawfish. So there's there's a wide variety. And the small the, the small snakes, you know, that are about the size of a worm, um, those, those will eat invertebrates, so insects and worm snakes. Uh, I'm sorry, worms. <laughs> worm snake is the yeah. thing I was thinking of. There's a snake called a worm snake that looks very similar to a worm um, here in East Tennessee as well. I've had uh, I've, I've found some um, some rat snakes hanging around my bird feeder. I'm sure <laughs> it's like, hey, I'm providing them. I'm providing them dinner here. Yeah, snake buffet. I'm, I'm baiting them. Yeah, it's like a feeder. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so. It's like a deer feeder. It spits out the birds. <laughs> so the uh, I, I think one of the most common snakes I see harmed uh, or talked about being harmed is just a, a good old everyday black snake. Mm-hmm. Uh, we apparently have those a lot of those around here. Mm-hmm. Um, I found black snake skins around the base of my house and sure. Um, obviously, a good snake to have. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's important to distinguish, too. So black snake is kind of a catch-all term for um, it, it can describe at least three species of snakes that we have around here. So there's there's three species of snake that um, that can be almost totally black as adults. So you have the, the rat snake, which kind of um, humorously is the gray rat snake. But as adults around here, they can be almost totally, totally black. And then we have the black racer. And then we also have the black king snake, and all of those are super beneficial to have around. Um, and I, I think the reason you see snakes persecuted so much is uh, they they'll sometimes exhibit behavior that that sets people on edge. So all all of those species um, in the right conditions, if they're threatened enough, will rattle their tail in in leaves. And I think people, you know, if you, if you just see that. You know, you might think it's a rattlesnake. It's a rattlesnake, yeah. yeah. Kill it, kill yeah, it. Exactly. And and then it's just this mindset that um, you know the only good snake is a dead snake that that's perpetuated um, through down the line. Gene, are you learning a lot about snakes? Do you, do you feel bad about all those snakes you've dispatched in your life? <laughs> <laughs> You know, I was wondering about the snakes uh, that they handle in church. What kind of snakes are those? Well, around here, that would be timber rattlesnakes and copperheads. Oh, yeah. so the, the venomous ones. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Not advised. Yeah, you got to watch those. A bit I was invited else. to church, and I just was wanted to make sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back. TonyCenter.org. Are you a member of the National Rifle Association? If not, why? 
No other organization in this country fights for your rights like the NRA. In the current environment, our rights under the Second Amendment are being attacked every day. While we in the South may feel comfortable, that is not the case all across America. The NRA is taking up the fight for you, and you need to be a part. Join the over 5 million men, women, and children who are members of the NRA. Go to TonySandersOutdoors.com and click on the Join NRA link. Don't wait too late. Spring will soon be here, and you know what that means, grilling and barbecue. You can get everything you need at Don's Meat Shop, 6408 Dixon Pike. Don has steaks such as T-bone, porterhouse, ribeyes, and many, many more. You can pick up kebabs, chicken, burgers, pork chops, roasts, or fish, and try out their seafood. Be sure to try their summer sausage snack sticks. Don has quality meats and great cooking advice, so give them a call at 423-842-1256. Don's is open six days a week, closed Tuesdays. Check them out at donsmeatshop.com, and be sure to like them on Facebook. Tennessee's Hunters for the Hungry program has provided well over 6 million meals over the past 20 years. High-quality protein in the form of venison is welcomed by local food banks. Thanks to gracious hunters and processors, these nutritious meals were provided to our neighbors who really needed a helping hand. If you hunt, please consider sharing some of your harvest this season. Learn about the new deer coin and more at TNWF.org. Welcome back. Tony Sanders Outdoors coming to the phone. Beaver Man. I'm surprised he didn't change his name to something snaky today. Well, I, I guess I could, but I, uh, you know, you, you stick with what you know. Gotcha. What an interesting guest. I'm glad you've had him on. <clears throat> I um, might attempt to refute his claim about there not being cotton mouths in the Tennessee Valley. I have firsthand experience with a cotton mouth in Hollywood, Alabama, which is about, uh, oh, a mile and a half as the snake crawls from the Tennessee River in a beaver swamp. And uh, sighted and photographed and uh, left alive to continue its duties. But um, so, you know, the longitude of the uh, of that, I mean, you know, it's not 15 miles below the or 20 miles below the Tennessee-Alabama line. Well, so they're, they're they, there. Yeah, in all fairness, Beaverman, uh, they do not issue them GPSs and maps. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, one of my favorite little snake stories, I have, I have a good friend who uh, is a Navy fighter pilot. <clears throat> he, uh, he's, he just blew my phone up one day. Photos, texts, and he's like, he's got some property up... Uh, up above uh, the coin. And he goes, what kind of blankety-blank snake is this? And he had a picture, and it was a king snake, probably about a four-and-a-half-footer, that he climbed up the front of his cabin and had a hold of a bat that was behind this light fixture on the front porch. And um, I finally, uh, you know, I sent him back. I'm like, well, don't kill it. That's a good snake. He said, you know, I mustered all my courage, and I grabbed grabbed him by the tail and pulled him and he didn't want to turn loose of that bat and i threw him out in the yard but i had the heebie-jeebies all day 
I said, so you can take a $60 million airplane full of live ordnance and land it on a bouncing carrier in the middle of the night, and that doesn't bother you. But a little old black snake freaks you out. You ought to uh, understand, man. You ought to hear me and spiders, Carter. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I think Rob Snow's greatest fear is the buffalo gnat. Oh, good Lord. (laughs) We we got ate up by these black flies, and they stung us. They didn't bite us. They stung us, and there were like billions of these things, and no uh, off or any other uh, chemical was working to keep these things off of us. I don't know what will work on those things, but <laughs> snakes. So what you flamethrowers? So, yeah. Hey. Yes. Um, the, uh, the one of the one of the coolest snakes I found during early bow season is, and I've heard heard it called a puff adder. Hmm. Is that the same thing as a hog nosed snake? So there's there's a lot of different uh, colloquial names for for hog hognose is 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 the accepted common name but yeah you see spread natter or puff adder um, and that's largely th- those are actual um, <coughs> snakes in different parts of the world um, but yeah hognose snake is is the accepted common name they they're mean as crap <laughs> they so do it's not like being messed with it's it's all. really all show what you'll discover is is they're the biggest uh actors or bluffers in in the snake world around here for sure they'll yeah but they'll hiss and they'll open their mouth and they'll twirl around and they'll rattle their tail and they'll roll over and play dead uh but they you you'd be hard pressed to find people that have been bitten by them um right yeah they put on a big well, show, that's um, for sure. This is, this is a great segment, and uh, I'm enjoying it. I have so many snake stories, I can't even see, can't even think about them all. But one of the coolest snakes, growing up, um, we used to get out of my grandmother's in Florida, south-central Florida, um, as kids all summer. And the indigo snake mm-hmm. is, I mean, just an absolutely awesome snake. Yeah. They, I mean, they're, they're beautiful. Um, so, so iridescent. That you know, I mean, they're almost purple. But um, are they not a endangered species? And do, do you ever see them this far north? I, I know that. Uh, I mean, in Florida, and, and from what I understand, they they occupy like um, gopher tortoise burrows. Yeah. Uh, um, and the loss of habitat, though, that they that they're really dwindling. But um, yeah. I mean, do you ever see? those up here no so they don't come this far north they're they're pretty much restricted to um south georgia and florida and and uh, parts of alabama and then there's there's a, another species in texas um uh, but no they don't come this far north uh and like you said they they absolutely do utilize gopher tortoise burrows um they're habitat specialists in many ways so they're they're pretty restricted to the specific types of habitat and like you said um habitat destruction is a big cause of their declines because uh, these these areas, these longleaf pine savannas, are really attractive to developers because they're not typically very hard to clear. They're big flat areas that are easy to put in, you know, neighborhoods or shopping malls or whatever. So over the years, their numbers have have suffered due to development, big time. Yeah, the the, the cottonmouths are the other ones. They 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 really are pretty aggressive generally. Um, <laughs> I I got into had a very close encounter with one down in uh, South Georgia one time. It was during archery season, and um, we were we were fishing during the middle of the day, 
and I climbed up on this bank by this culvert to fish this backwater. And I'm wearing flip-flops because it's still warm. And so I'm, I'm, I'm reaching down and snapping weeds out of the way so I could climb out on this culvert. And I look down, I mean, a foot away from my foot is this cold cottonmouth. Mm-hmm. And luckily, it was cool enough. He was fairly docile. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. I look around. There's no stick anywhere to try to, you know, nothing. And I, I look, I, I come back over and look, and then he's gone. So then I'm, I'm like, damn, where is he? They're everywhere. <laughs> but I, I saw, buddy, he was fishing a. Um, like a tiny torpedo or something across this lake. Uh-huh. And a cottonmouth jumped off a log and chased that lure, I mean, 100 feet across this lake. Hmm. And then met his early demise with a 357 hollow point oh, and a boy. geyser of water. Yeah. That um, was uh, quite spectacular. I wish we had that on video. But um, yeah, man, this is this great, great uh, segment. Glad. Uh, Glad Tony could uh, get you in there. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I wanted to touch on something you you said there um, about cottonmouths being aggressive. Uh, in in herpetology, we don't typically like to refer to snakes as as being aggressive, largely because it's not. Um, I, I'm not sure that that's the best description for what they're doing. They're largely defensive, and so it, you know, if you kind of think think of those words. They're defensive in the sense that they will defend themselves when they feel threatened. But as far as aggression goes, there's no real reason for snakes to come after you. So if if you threaten them, you encroach on their, um, you know, where they're hanging out, uh, they, they will defend themselves. But as far as chasing people down and being aggressive is not in their interest. You think we're, you know, several hundred thousand times bigger than, you know, they are. And uh, there's no real reason for them to come after us because they don't see us as a food source, first of all. They're not going to come after us to try to eat us. And, and they wouldn't come after us to, um, you know, to scare us off either. Um, well, he was going after my friend's $7 lure. Oh, okay, sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, he was hungry. Come on. <laughs> I, I, I could believe that more so than these stories of people being chased down by snakes. That, that just, uh... Yeah, well, seven bucks is seven bucks. <laughs> hey, cut a snake a break, man. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, enjoying it. We're, we're going to head into the ATL this morning to go uh, do some work. Well, be careful, so, buddy. Have fun, man. Thanks. All right, see you. I don't even know where to go now. <laughs> well, I was going to ask, how do we identify a venomous snake versus a non-venomous snake? Well, there's there's a few characteristics, and it's never a good idea to just rely on one of them, um, because they they don't they don't always that one characteristic can change. So, one thing that um, people like to use to identify venomous snakes is the shape of the pupil, and that's largely reliable, but not always. And so with venomous snakes in this area, and, and don't go down to South America or, or <laughs> in many places of the world, don't don't try this trick because it may not work. Um, but for the most part, the two pit viper species that we have in East Tennessee have elliptical or vertical pupils, kind of like a cat. Okay. But again, that's not something you want to rely on 100% of the time because that pupil can dilate and take on a round shape. 
I'm not going to get close enough to tell. That's where I was going. (laughs) My answer to your question is at a distance. Right. That's the best way to identify one. Yeah. Binoculars. 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 There's also a lot of um, pattern uh, that you can use to identify the snake. So copperheads have have a pretty distinctive pattern where the the bands across the back almost look like... um, little hourglasses that had been laid draped across the snake. So if you were to, to look at it from the side, those bands um, on the side would look like little Hershey kisses down the body. And so those bands are thinnest at the center of the back going, going down the snake, um, as opposed to, you know, the commonly uh, mistaken uh, corn snake or water snakes. Those, those blotches or bands are typically widest at the um, going down the spine. Um, and so that's one way that you can you can tell copperheads from you know these non venomous lookalikes. And, right. yeah, to, and of course, timber rattlesnakes typically have rattles. <laughs> All right, so I can identify them without seeing them. So cat eyes, <laughs> Hershey's kisses, rattles, stay away. There you go. And if you really want to get your friends after listening to this show, all you fishermen, get you a small container, put some. Drop shot or split shot in it. Split shot and, in a film canister sounds and real wait they, realistic. Wait till they're right under the edge of a tree and then shake it really good. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back. If you need any outdoor supplies, there's only one place to go, Sportsman's Warehouse. They have all the equipment you need, as well as a friendly, knowledgeable staff to assist you. If you want a firearm, then check out the thousands of guns they have on the shelf. If you don't see one you want, go to sportsmanswarehouse.com. Choose from over 6,700 models they have, and they will ship it directly to the store. Everyday low prices, no shipping charges, and no processing fees. Sportsman's Warehouse, the great indoors for those who love the great outdoors. Highway 153 and Lee Highway. If you're looking to target your product or service to the outdoor community, Tony Sanders Outdoors can help. Nearly one-third of the radios are tuned to Tony Sanders Outdoors on Saturday mornings from 5 to 7 a.m. Whether it's a recorded commercial, live reads, remote broadcast, or product endorsements, Tony and Rob can help. Give us a call at 423-280-3677 to discuss your advertising needs. Tony Sanders Outdoors, your outdoor advertising solution. 423-280-3677. Welcome back. Hey, Beaverman requested some white snake. <laughs> Actually, he said he would tune out but if we played it. <laughs> Says here he hates white snake. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Uh, got just a couple of minutes here left uh, before the top of the hour, and uh, having a really good time. And we're going to focus in. I guess in the next hour, I want us to focus in on amateur snake identification. Okay. Because nobody, most people are not going to spend the effort to really learn snakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 I'm going to kind of take the approach. I'm going to learn the four that I need to know. That would be the four venomous. Sure. And I'm going to just you know assume the rest are not. Yeah. Does that make sense? Makes makes that's a real good idea. Identify those four, and if it's not them, just leave them alone. Give yeah. them give them a wide berth. Hey, don't forget, uh, friends of NRA. It snuck up on me. It's two weeks two weeks away. Uh, our banquet this year is going to be on the 21st of July 
at the Westin. Uh, going through the numbers last night, there's only about 100 seats left. And, it's in, and I've never been 100 seats two weeks out is is kind of spooky. I'm going to sell out. So if you do want to get involved, please do. We'd love to have you. If you don't know what our money goes for, it is uh, goes to uh, support youth. 93% of the money we raise in Tennessee goes to support youth. So come check us out. Go to friendsofnra.org. Look for Tennessee. Ours is the next banquet coming up. So sign up and get your tickets there. $60 a seat. Uh, get you in the door, and I guarantee you, you will have a good time. We always do. Book now to avoid disappointment. All right. We'll be back after the top of the hour news break. Call in and become part of the show. 267-1023. 267-1023. Don't stop that podcast now. That's only one half of the show. We'll be right back with the second half of Tony Sanders Outdoors. Tighten your life vests, wrap into your tree stand, and get ready for the award-winning Tony Sanders Outdoors. Your source for outdoor information, education, and entertainment. Now, here are your hosts, Tony Sanders and Rob Pratula. Welcome back. Tony Sanders Outdoors. Talking creepy crawly snakes today with... Paul Eric Bachlin, who is a uh, herpetologist in the Chattanooga area and has become the official Tony Sanders Outdoor Snake Guy. <laughs> you know you're going to get calls like at 5 o'clock in the morning from here on out, right? Hey, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to talk about snakes. Let's go to the phones. We've got people who have been holding for a while. John, you're on the air. Good morning, gentlemen. I always enjoy your show when I happen to be up on Saturday morning. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, sir. Um, I, I, I'm enjoying the snake show too but i have a fishing question for you real quick here all right um is there is there a good time of day to go fishing uh, my grandson's surely going to ask me if i'll take him out this morning because i ain't been able to for only once this spring so does it really matter if you go out early or middle of the day or we'll probably be fishing either in south chickamauga creek or maybe go up to the lake um Yes. <laughs> Excuse me. Beg your pardon. Um, morning is probably best and late evening. Uh, heat of the day, the fish are going to be, for lack of a better term, they're going to get lockjaw and they're going to go deep. Um, and if there's any shade on, if you're fishing a creek, if there's any shade on the river, fish the shade because fish don't have eyelids and they like, you know, dark spaces. So early morning, this time of year, early evening, because the water does get warm. Uh, so if you're not going out bright and early, wait till about uh, 5 o'clock this evening, head on out to the creek, and it'll be better in the evening than it will in the m- middle of the heat of the day. Thank you very much. Yeah. I have enjoyed the snake tips that you've been giving. It's, well, it's nice to be reminded. You know, I knew uh, when he said them, I knew a lot of those things, but I'd forgotten them. You know, I, I don't go hiking like I used to, and, you know, all that stuff kind of slips away if you don't use it. So, yeah. But thank you much. Thank you, John. Appreciate Thanks, John. the call. It, today's going to be rainy, too, right? Isn't there a pretty good chance of rain? Well, yeah, if there's a good chance of rain, you can probably go all day. I did not realize there was a chance of rain. I did not look at the radar this morning, and I honestly... And, and I may be wrong, but I was, somebody somebody 
Well, somebody made the comment on Facebook that they were going to sleep in because we were talking about you can follow us on uh, the podcast. We put a podcast out there every week, and the um, we do Facebook Live. So that will actually be out there as well right after the show. It gets posted up, and you can go back and replay the show. So you can you don't have to wake up at you know 5 a.m. with us. But we appreciate we prefer, it when you we do. prefer when you do. So, all right, let's go to a Tree Climber. Hey, Tree Climber. How you boys doing this morning? Doing well, sir. How about yourself? Well, I hear y'all talking about these snakes here, and I was thought I'd call and tell you a little story because it's little nothing I like better than uh, having some bass, you know, fried bass in a skillet, and uh, fishing on the bayou one day, and I looked down there and I. I hadn't had any luck, and there was a there was an old cotton mouth going to crawl up on the bank between my feet. Looked down there, and that old snake had a frog in his mouth. Okay. I said, Lord, there ain't nothing that them bass like better than a frog. <laughs> I reached down there and grabbed a hold of that old snake right behind the head, you know, and wrestled with him. He coiled up around my arm, and I prized that old frog from his jaws, and I was thinking, how am I going to turn this old snake loose without him inflicting his anger on me? I remember in my bib of my overalls, I had some of that Tennessee moonshine, you know, that pampas <laughs> breath, that mule kick. Yes, sir. I poured a little bit of that mule kick down that old snake's throat there, and I seen his eyes get all googly, you know, and I just eased him down on a bank and turned him loose, and he just slowly crawled off back into the water and eased up the bank next to them cypress trees. I thought, oh, boy, I got it now. You know, I got me a frog. I reached down in my pocket and pulled that old frog back out. I was going to put him on a hook. And just as I started to cast my line out, seen that old snake come back. I looked down there, and this time, I don't snake had two frogs. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all have a good morning. Thank you, Tree Thank Clover. you, sir. <laughs> oh, Lord. He likes that whiskey. <laughs> hey, Corky. Hey, boys. It's kind of hard to follow that one. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. It's up to you, buddy. All right. I have a question. All right. What is the best method to use? When you get bit by a poisonous snake, either timber or a cotton mouth or copperhead. So the best thing to do is just to get to a hospital as soon as possible. Uh, there's a lot of old folk remedies uh, that that have been talked about over the years, uh, and it's it's largely agreed upon now that that the best thing to do is just try to get medical attention as soon as possible because you don't necessarily want to use a tourniquet or you know try to suction the venom out or any of these things that you know were commonly believed for a long time um it's it's just generally accepted now that that seeking medical attention as soon as possible is is your best option but now i was thinking more along the lines of um putting an ice pack on it until you can get to a medical facility well, you know, some some of those things cause other issues. So if you're slowing down the movement of blood, if you're constricting constricting the blood vessels using a tourniquet um, or or icing that kind of thing, it it can 
um, it can concentrate the venom in that area and cause additional tissue damage. And so, you know, while there is an argument to be made about not having um, the venom rapidly spread throughout your whole system and, and affect all of your organs, you also don't necessarily want it concentrated in one area because with it, you know, concentrated like just in your hand, for instance, um, that, that can cause unnecessary damage. Uh, so yeah, it, like I said, there's, there's not really, there's not really one thing that you should do, um, in the field other than just try to get, get medical attention as quick as possible. Got you. Good answer. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Corky. See you. In, uh, following up on that, um, two things and remind me to come back to Corky's chickens here in a minute. Um, if you're hunting, though, a lot of times you're you're a long way. Sure. Uh, sometimes distance, and sometimes just time to get out. Uh, is there is there a best thing you should do, or uh, I mean, you know, John Wayne always cut it and sucked mm-hmm. on it, and yeah, that's it, what, yeah. and spit it out, and you know, and then race the little girl to the to the doctor. Sure. <laughs> she lost her arm, though. I know she yeah, did. I just watched that movie recently, actually. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, that, you know, a lot of those, those old, old remedies have, have just been shown to either not be effective or in some cases downright damaging. Um, so I, you know, I, I would say it's probably a good idea to hunt with somebody else (laughs) or, or have, you know, um, be able to contact someone if, if you're out in the woods. And I realize, you know, there's going to be times when you're out of range of service. Um, so you probably don't want to like sprint back to your truck after, after, um, getting bitten because um, that'll speed up your heart rate and 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 you know cause cause problems. Well, I'm pretty sure getting bits going to speed yeah, up my heart rate. Yeah, exactly what I'm thinking. As, yeah, probably unavoidable. But you know, at at a reasonable pace, try to make it back to your vehicle and and get help. But you know, like we were talking about before the show or during the break, I don't remember. Um, snake bite fatalities are incredibly rare, and so you know, unless you're a little kid or an elderly person or you're already compromised health wise. Um, you're probably going to be all right if if you're able to get to um, some medical help pretty quickly. So let me ask you this, um, and it may not be your area of expertise. Many years ago, I got bit by a brown recluse, mm-hmm. and so now I've got a spot on my leg uh, that is dead from the venom from the brown recluse. Is the snake venom going to do the same thing to my body? I mean, is it because and what prompted the question was you mentioned that you know, a tourniquet or, or slowing down circulation is going to end up concentrating the venom in a certain area. Mm-hmm. Is it pretty much doing the same thing that the brown recluse did when it got me? I mean, that that kind of a reaction to the venom? Sure. Well, like you said, that that, that is a little bit out of my wheelhouse. But, um, yeah, uh, essentially the venom will, will do very similar thing. And it, it sort of depends on which kind of venomous snake we're talking about. But the venomous snakes we have here... Um, yeah, tissue damage and nerve damage that can absolutely become a problem and and something that can affect you for the for the rest of your life to one degree or another. Well, while we're on the topic, what is anti? Like you go to the hospital, they're going to give you anti venom. Mm-hmm. Is anti venom made from snake venom? Like it, a, it is like a live virus. Um, yeah, so it's 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 modified from from snake venom, and you know that that actually kind of. Uh, makes me think of something else you know that's that's really important is there's lots of drugs currently that are that are being synthesized or researched at least with snake venom 
Um, so there's some anti-cancer treatments. There's some anti-coagulation um, or, or some coagulation medicines that, that, can, that are being developed to be used by, um, you know, first responders and that sort of thing. And so, you know, that, that's an important area of research and is another reason why, why we should care about um, venomous snakes, too, because they, they benefit us directly in the form of medicine. Well, that's cool. Yeah. I never knew that. Well, see, that's why we bring in the experts, <laughs> to find out those things we don't know. Yeah. So Now, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, Corky that just called in raises chickens. Mm-hmm. He has quite a few chickens. Do uh, snakes pose a risk to his smaller chickens? Yeah. Okay. I, I, you know, I, I don't. I'm hesitant to answer that because I don't want people, you know, out indiscriminately killing rat snakes too. Um, but yeah, they they will eat chickens and they'll 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 eat eggs. Um, Do they get to a certain point in size and you don't have to worry about it? I guess or. Well, I mean, they'll they'll continue to eat chicks with within you know a certain sure. size range. Um, but you know, largely what that comes down to. I actually have a friend that's dealing with this issue right now. Um, largely what that comes down to is just not having. Um, your your chicken coop structurally secure. You know, I get asked sometimes, you know, what's the best way to deter snakes? And there's not a chemical deterrent that that's effective. You'll see them for sale at different places, or people will talk about using mothballs. Uh, that stuff just doesn't work. And so, largely, if you're trying to exclude a snake from your garage or your chicken coop, um, that just that comes down to making sure that it's structurally secure and there's there's no little openings for them to to get into. Yeah, see, my desire to have a snake in my basement to keep the rats away is directly contradictory to my wife's desire to have a snake in in the basement. So, she solves that problem, just not going to the basement. So as long as I don't keep it, you know, it doesn't get in the house, I'm okay. Right. All right, we'll be right back. Tony Sanders Outdoors. That cotton dress. Jumped on in and we drove to the lake. Put her hand on my knee and said, I can't wait. I had everything we needed in the bed of my truck. Turns out my baby. Sportsman's Warehouse is the perfect place to shop for all your outdoor equipment. No matter the season, Sportsman's Warehouse friendly staff and knowledgeable experts can assist you in finding what you need for your adventure. If you're a hunter, angler, boater, hiker, camper, or need clothing or shoes, Sportsman's Warehouse has just what you need. If you're looking for a firearm, Sportsman's Warehouse has over a 1,000 guns in the store. Now, if you don't see one you want, you can go to sportsmanswarehouse.com and select from over 6,700 guns offered online. Then you can have it shipped directly to the store, everyday low prices, no shipping charges, and no processing fees. Don't forget to sign up and register for the Sportsman's Warehouse loyalty card. This will give you points towards gift cards and special promotions, as well as keeping you informed of upcoming events. Be sure to like them on Facebook for prizes, promotions, as well as things happening at the store. The place to shop for all your outdoor needs. Sportsman's Warehouse. The great indoors for those who love the great outdoors. Highway 153 and Lee Highway. If you're looking to target your product or service to the outdoor community, Tony Sanders Outdoors can help. Nearly one-third of the radios are tuned to Tony Sanders Outdoors on Saturday mornings from 5 to 7 a.m. Whether it's a recorded commercial, live reads, remote broadcast, or product endorsements, Tony and Rob can help. Give us a call at 423-280-3677 to discuss your advertising needs. Tony Sanders Outdoors, your outdoor advertising solution. 423-280-3677. 
Beatty's Fertilizer in Cleveland, Tennessee are the experts when it comes to lush green lawn. If you're a homeowner, Beatty's has everything you'll need for preparing and maintaining your lawn this spring. They can recommend products designed specifically for this area and provide you with the knowledge to have the lawn that will be the envy of all your neighbors. Don't go buy a bag of something that may or may not work from a big box store. Beatty's has years of local knowledge and knows what will work in this area. Trust the local experts in fertilizer to assist you with your lawn. Make your neighbors really jealous. Call Beatty's. If you're a lawn care company owner or are on a landscaping group, Beatty's can formulate special blends for your customers by the pallet. Your customers will be happy with the great results, and so will you. Call Beatty's for more information on bulk fertilizer for your lawn care company. Minimum quantities required. So whether you're a homeowner, lawn care company, or just like digging around in the yard, go with the pros at Beatty's Fertilizer. 472-5491, 472-5491, and check them out at babiesfertilizer.com. Boys and girls, take warning. If you go near the lake, keep your eyes wide open and look for Sneaky Snake. Now maybe you won't see him All right, Gino, who who is that? Uh, that would be Tom T. Hall. Okay, okay. I, I heard that. I remember when I was a child. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty good. I like that one. Appropriate, definitely yeah. appropriate today. Welcome back, Tony Sanders Outdoors, having a snake conversation with uh, Paul Eric Buckland, who uh, is a local area herpetologist and very informed about snakes let me ask you do all snakes bite yeah the, all snakes can bite that doesn't mean that all snakes will bite okay yeah do all snakes that bite hurt you know I, no i i don't think so um i i think it's more analogous to getting hung up in like a blackberry bush largely you know with the the non-venomous like the black racers and garter snakes and water snakes it 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 more feels like a, a scratch All well right. I, i'm telling I, you when a, a black snake bites it um it gets your attention whether you know because then your mind's really racing sure it's <laughs> it can be startling for sure well if you have a snake attached to any appendage yeah you're I, call me strange i'm gonna freak out but <laughs> speaking of snake how many times have you been bitten in your herpetological career oh i you know there's just no way i could i could put a number on it uh, you know, largely, I, I, I used to be a lot more careless when I would catch non-venomous snakes because, you know, there's there's no risk of any sort of real injury, so I would just grab them, you know. Um, but a, as I've gotten older and, and been doing this longer, I, I've gotten a little bit more conscientious about it, more for the snake's benefit because, you know, if you have a tendency to rip away when you get bit by a snake, and, and sometimes what that'll do is... the the teeth will get stuck in your skin, and you can actually rip their teeth out. They'll grow back, but it's you know it's an injury that I'd like to not inflict on snakes if possible. So now when I catch them, I, I try to do do it in such a way that you know that they don't bite me. You're a nice guy. I'm not worried about snake tooth at that point. <laughs> yeah, at this point, I'm sawing my arm off. I don't care. I'll, I'll pull out a pocket knife and just cut the arm and let him have it. Um, we were talking about venomous snakes a little bit earlier. We've there's been some I get I don't know if it's a myth or not, but I, I'm pretty sure it's not. 
a rattlesnake can bite you, and it can control the amount of venom it injects. So if it bites you, it can not inject venom, or it can. It's up to the snake itself. So sometimes when you get bit, you may not be envenomated. Mm-hmm. Is that true, or is that false? Yeah, that is absolutely true. There is there is such a thing as a dry bite. Um, and, and when we think of venom in snakes, it's first and foremost a prey acquisition thing. It's secondarily a defense thing. And so, you know, with rattlesnakes, they're, they're largely considered to be the most highly evolved pit vipers on the planet because they have this venom conservation structure. It's the rattle. So essentially what they're saying when they're rattling is don't come near me. I don't want to have to waste my venom defending myself because if they have to defend themselves and use venom, that means that they may not be able to get their next meal as quickly as they would otherwise. And so, you know, and, and regenerating venom is metabolically expensive. So they want to conserve that venom. And so defending themselves um, that way uh, they, they try to avoid, and so that's that's another reason why you know the whole chasing chasing me down to to bite me story that you hear sometimes um, is 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 largely a myth. Uh, so yeah, they they can um, they can do, to a degree to um, control how much venom they're injecting. Yeah, absolutely. Huh. Now, um, when I was talking to you on the phone, uh, getting ready for the show, a friend of mine's. Dog, his mm-hmm. lab got bit on the snout. Yeah, twice. Once was not a dry bite. The second one was a dry bite. Mm-hmm. Now, was we're, of course we don't have any idea when it, how it got bit or, or or what the order was. Going back to your comment, if I inject the venom this time, um, the, would the next one, if it struck again, would that possibly be the dry bite? Because they haven't had a chance to replenish, or when they when they bite, do they inject all of their venom, or, or I, I don't know. I'm... You know, uh, for, from what I understand, they don't typically inject all of their venom commonly. Um, but it's hard for me to say, you know, if the second bite is more likely to be a dry bite. Um, yeah, it's 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 hard for me. I I would think, and this this is just kind of speculation. I would think it'd be more likely that the first bite would be a dry bite, and the second bite. Maybe the you know the oh. first bite you know that doesn't deter whatever's you know bothering the snake. The second one means business, and, and um, I'm sure I'm sure the the lab was being a nosy lab. And sure, was maybe they didn't know that they should be cognizant of the rattle being a sure. problem. Well, the, labs are generally good. You know, they're like, hey, a new friend. Yeah, there there are some avoidance classes that are taught. Um, for people that that have dogs that are you know outside and, and potentially around snakes, and uh, that that's something you'd have to Google. I, c- I couldn't tell you exactly the name of the organizations that do this, but um, there are, there are some avoidance training classes that you can um, put your dog in. Uh, huh. Fortunately, dogs are pretty resilient to snake bites. Um, they, they they tend to be um, pretty resistant to it more so than you know. There was a, there was a lady on uh, I think it was Fox News or someone or one of the shows this week that the dog had actually jumped between her and a snake that was trying to strike her. Hmm. And, um, and, and they had pictures of the dog pretty swollen up and in Chris's lab, the left side of her face looked really bad. Sure. Uh, cause it got her right on the snout and it wasn't until it went down that they found the dry bite. Yeah. Uh, it, which was on the other side, but she was obviously pretty sensitive to, to touch and stuff at that point. But she survived it? Yeah. 
Good. She did good. She's doing fine. Happy ending. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, And I guess it's probably more common than we realize. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Especially out west. Oh, yeah. Um, The... I've noticed, like, the further south you go, the more poisonous snakes you get. Is it because of the heat, like you said, because they're a cold-blooded critter? I mean, you know, you get way south in Florida, you know, you get this snake, that snake. You get coral snakes in South Carolina. You get uh, rat rattlesnakes. You get the cottonmouths in West Tennessee. The, the warmer climates, do you get a lot of snakes that are more venomous? I mean, do you get any, like, up in Maine? I mean, I, I know they have probably timber rattlers up there, but mm-hmm. do you get the number of venomous snakes the further north you go because of the colder climate? It, it does kind of drop off in, in colder climates, and, and so, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. You do, you do find a greater diversity of snakes in, in, uh, in places that are, that are warmer, typically. I'm moving to Alaska. <laughs> there you go. Do they have, do they have rattlesnakes? They there? don't, no. I'm moving to Alaska. <laughs> Okay, now he said at the first of the show that like five people a year die from snakes. Yeah, that's a pretty drastic move to avoid being one of the five. I'll probably get eaten by a grizzly bear. Up there, there you go. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I would much, I would much prefer a snake over a grizzly. Oh yeah, absolutely. yeah. I'm more likely to survive a snake yeah. bite. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, just think about what you're talking about. All right. <laughs> uh, all right. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about what we encounter fishing, waterwise, and the kind of snakes we'll see. Cool. And, uh, and we'll go from there. Great. Tony Sanders Outdoors. We'll be right back. If the White House was in Texas, man, we'd get a straighter answer. They'd let us smoke what we want. We'd have a lot less cancer. They'd be much more. Are you a member of the National Rifle Association? If not, why? No other organization in this country fights for your rights like the NRA. In the current environment, our rights under the Second Amendment are being attacked every day. While we in the South may feel comfortable, that is not the case all across America. The NRA is taking up the fight for you, and you need to be a part. Join the over 5 million men, women, and children who are members of the NRA. Go to TonySandersOutdoors.com and click on the Join NRA link. Don't wait too late. Mady's Fertilizer in Cleveland, Tennessee are the experts when it comes to lush green lawn. If you're a homeowner, Mady's has everything you'll need for preparing and maintaining your lawn this spring. They can recommend products designed specifically for this area and provide you with the knowledge to have the lawn that will be the envy of all your neighbors. Don't go buy a bag of something that may or may not work from a big box store. Mady's has years of local knowledge and knows what will work in this area. Trust the local experts in fertilizer to assist you with your lawn. Make your neighbors really jealous. Call Beatty's. If you're a lawn care company owner or are on a landscaping group, Beatty's can formulate special blends for your customers by the palette. Your customers will be happy with the great results, and so will you. Call Beatty's for more information on bulk fertilizer for your lawn care company. Minimum quantities required. So whether you're a homeowner, lawn care company, or just like digging around in the yard, go with the pros at Beatty's Fertilizer. 472-5491, 472-5491, and check them out at 80sfertilizer.com. 
Like a good neighbor is not just a saying. It exactly describes my friend, Rodney Allen. For nearly 20 years, my family has relied on Rodney for all of our insurance needs. He's been there when my kids were learning to drive, when my wife had been hit by a few deer, and when I needed life insurance to protect my family, as well as when my grandson was born. As you can see, he's not just our agent. He's part of our life. Rodney Allen, 423-847-3881. Like a good friend, Rodney will be there for your family, too. 423-847-3881. Hey, one more thing about uh, our buddies at Sportsman's. I did check uh, with Carl yesterday. They do carry snake boots, and they do carry snake garters, whatever you call them. Chaps. 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 Leggings. Hard plastic, so when they bite, they bite the hard. They bite themselves and not you, which is highly desirous in my world. I would say so, definitely. Because I, I, if I ever looked down and saw a snake attached to my leg, I don't. I, you know, you're saying remain calm and walk out. <laughs> no, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> All right, I'm on. Uh, we've 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 covered a lot of ground. Uh, I did get one question, and we can talk about this. Is there snakes in the area that are aggressive towards humans? So, yeah, we, we kind of touched on it a little bit, but I, I prefer to use the term defensive. And okay. the, the reason I like to use that term is because aggressive doesn't, t- doesn't accurately describe snake behavior. So snakes aren't going to come after you unprovoked. They will defend themselves if they feel threatened, but they're not going to chase you down. They're not going to come after you. Uh, How hard is it to provoke a snake? Well, it, it it depends on the temperament of of the snake, the individual snake. Um, sometimes of the species, it can be as little a thing as startling it. Um, but generally, the, the first sort of um, method of protecting themselves is is to try to be undetected. So they'll they'll camouflage themselves, or they'll be in an area where they're they're trying to avoid being seen, um, and then the secondary defense mechanism comes in um, later. Puff, gotcha. up, puff up, look big, and be mean. and Sure, hiss or strike or yeah. rattle their tail in the leaves or whatever. Okay. <laughs> hey, fake it till Wait, you make it. So so non-rattlesnakes will rattle just like a rattlesnake. They will. The, whew, that's yeah. good. Yeah. Every snake just became a rattlesnake. <laughs> That's what I'm hearing. All right, we're going to go to the Gene. I don't know who the caller is because our screen has screwed up in here. Okay. All right. Hey, hey, Dexter, how are you? Good morning. I grew up in Mississippi, and we always talked about cottonmouth moccasins and mm-hmm. how they were. You know, you'd hear people fishing in the boat and it'd fall in the boat, and somebody may shoot a hole in the bottom of the boat. Sure. <laughs> ball up and then you hear about people water skiing and ran into a ball of cottonmouth moccasins oh, yeah. and die. Um, just some dispel some of those rumors. <laughs> well, yeah, so the whole idea that, that cottonmouths commonly hang out in large numbers together, um, while you can find them in large numbers, you're, you're, you're not likely to find a ball or a nest of cottonmouths in open water. Uh, that, that, that would be very unusual. Um, and then the whole, you know, just cottonmouth aggression thing is is not really is not really accurate either. In fact, there there was a study done um, several years ago by by Whit Gibbons, who's a professor emeritus from UGA, um, and and basically what what that study found is that that cottonmouths are are very reluctant to bite, 
And so the the cottonmouth aggression thing is blown way out of proportion. They'll do this behavior where they'll they'll coil up and then they'll open their mouth and you see this bright white mouth. It's you know how they get their their common name. And to some I've people that, that looks yeah, and it it can look pretty intimidating. But um, again, that's that's sort of similar to what we see with rattlesnakes rattling their tail. That's their display. Like hey, don't you know don't come near me. I don't want to bite you. What is their habitat? Because everybody says, "Oh, they're cottonmouths up here," and I've I've never seen one. No, further west in Tennessee. Sure. So they're they're more of a coastal coastal plain species. You know, in East Tennessee, we have this eco region, this ridge and valley, and it's it's just it's just the wrong habitat for them. So they like lowland kind of swampy areas, um, co- coastal plain. Uh, you can get, yeah. Yeah, some on the plateau, I suppose, but uh, yeah, more more of a lowland species for sure. All right, that, yeah, but that was just the big rumor as a kid. You'd hear about those stories. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Thank uh-huh. you, Dexter. All right, here we go. These these are these are these are softballs. All right. Most interesting snake, in your opinion, in Tennessee? Well, uh, we we kind of talked about it already with the the uh, collar that we had a little while ago but in my opinion the most interesting snake is is the hognose snake um largely because it's got this really interesting morphology so its face is is really cool looking i think they have this this upturned um scale on the on the front of their snout um their their behavior is is unlike any other snakes that we see they do this death feigning display that's really cool and they'll uh, they're very dramatic they'll they'll twirl around and they'll hang their tongue out and they'll um yeah, they they do all these interesting defensive displays, and they're also um, they're rear fanged. So their venom is is harmless to humans. Um, it's it's kind of a, a prey specific venom, so it um, it's it's just used for uh, acquiring prey items. But they do have a set of fangs in the back of back of their mouths, and they eat essentially um, just frogs and toads. And so I think you know based on their behavior, and then you know kind of just the way they look. And then their their specialized diet, in my opinion, that's the most interesting snake. Now, for those who uh, tuned in late, uh, we're talking to uh, Paul Eric Buckland, and uh, who is a snake guy. Yeah, I've, yeah. Sa- I've said herpetologist many times today. So a snake guy, mm-hmm. yeah, snake dude. Uh, there's only two kinds of snakes that we have in eastern Tennessee that are venomous. Correct. Timber rattlers and copperheads. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have water moccasins, as we just talked with Dexter. They're towards western Tennessee, the Memphis area, and yeah. things like that. Uh, and then the other one is the pygmy rattler. Is that right? Well, they, that's not been documented in East Tennessee. Um, I, I don't want to say conclusively. I mean, in Tennessee in general. In, in Tennessee in general, yeah, we do have that. But again, that's that's more more of a western species. Yeah. Um. We've established that they're not aggressive towards mm-hmm. humans because they don't see us as food or anything like that, but they are defensive. Correct. So if you hear about people getting bit, um, then it's because they have encroached on the snake's world and they, the snake doesn't want you there. Sure. Either knowingly or unknowingly. Sure. And then finally, uh, all the myths that we heard of, you know, falling into water moccasins and Chickamauga Creek and... Uh, all this stuff is all just hooey. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is that pretty much sum up the show? I think so. <laughs> and, 
every sna- now every snake that you see in the water is a cottonmouth. Well, right. sure, you'll hear that a lot, but, right? But that's not accurate. <laughs> okay. Now I saw a lot of interesting snakes in India when I was there. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. This earlier this year. Cool. And uh, so here here's here's another one for you. If you could go anywhere and study any snake, what would that be? Oh boy, that's that's a tough one. Uh, you know, I I got to go to Costa Rica last spring, and Costa Rica is just an amazing place biodiversity wise. You know, from from birds to interesting mammals to amphibians, and uh, you know, one of the main reasons I went down there is because they've got um, an incredible number of amazing snakes down there. Uh, so if I was, you know, backed into a corner uh, about this, I suppose I would want to maybe study the eyelash viper that they have down down in Costa Rica and other places down there. Uh, it's really interesting snake, small um, arboreal pit viper. It's just really interesting looking. And uh, now you were talking earlier about a snake that is is part of the viper family. Mm-hmm. Was that here in Tennessee or was that out west? I, I don't. I, Part of the conversation you were having with Rob and so our, our venomous snakes in Tennessee are all pit vipers. Okay, yeah, in the family. Uh, I'm sorry, you said it was a cobra related. To oh, a cobra. yeah. The, so the coral snake, we oh, don't have those you. in Thank Tennessee, you. but okay. you know, you get those further south, and then of course there's some other species out west. Um, those are in the family Elapidae, which is which is the family that cobras are also in. So it's a different type of type of venom. It's largely neurotoxic. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. What What is the most poisonous snake? Of all, I mean, you know, worldwide, what's the granddaddy of them all? So it that's 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 a good question that comes up in a lot of these different snake forums online. Um, it depends on how you're measuring that. So if we're talking drop for drop, um, you know, the LD50 lethal dose 50, or if we're talking about uh, the snake responsible for the most number of deaths, it depends on how you define, um, you know, snake potency. Uh, so. Drop, drop Dead. For, yeah, okay. So <laughs> uh, um, my my understanding is the snake that is responsible for the most fatalities is the Russell's viper. And then... Uh, Where is the, that at? So that's that's an Asian species. Okay. So you can get those in um, Sri Lanka and, and um, some other surrounding areas. And then I, as far as I know, the snake that has the most potent venom drop for drop is the, um, the Taipan, which is an Australian snake. Inland Taipan. All right. Yeah. Gene, you've learned a lot about snakes today. I was going to bring in a rubber snake, but I figured we'd have to hit the dump button if I threw it on the table at some point during this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go pay our uh, final bills of the day, and we'll be right back. Tony Sanders Outdoors. If you need any outdoor supplies, there's only one place to go, Sportsman's Warehouse. They have all the equipment you need, as well as a friendly, knowledgeable staff to assist you. If you want a firearm, then check out the thousands of guns they have on the shelf. If you don't see one you want, go to sportsmanswarehouse.com. Choose from over 6,700 models they have, and they will ship it directly to the store. Everyday low prices, no shipping charges, and no processing fees. Sportsman's Warehouse, the great indoors for those who love the great outdoors. Highway 153 and Lee Highway. If you're looking to target your product or service to the outdoor community, Tony Sanders Outdoors can help. Nearly one-third of the radios are tuned to Tony Sanders Outdoors on Saturday mornings from 5 to 7 a.m. Whether it's a recorded commercial, live reads, remote broadcast, or product endorsements, Tony and Rob can help. Give us a call at 423-280-3677 to discuss your advertising needs. 
Tony Sanders Outdoors, your outdoor advertising solution. 423-280-3677. Chronic wasting disease affects white-tailed deer, mule deer, elk, and moose populations in many states. We are CWD-free in Tennessee and are counting on hunters to keep it that way. Remember, if you hunt out of state for big game animals, it's very important that you learn the proper way to bring those harvested animals home. New restrictions are in place for good reason. Learn more at tnwildlife.org. Please help us keep Tennessee CWD free. Well, I have to admit that I've had fun today. Oh, I have to. This has definitely been the educational show. Oh, I've been geeking off here. I've been t- been totally geeking out over here just you now asking scientific questions. <laughs> hey, one of my buddies called in, John Daniel, who is a big trapper mm-hmm. and uh, does a lot of trapping and is, is, I guess he's vice president of the National Trappers Association. Okay. Um, and he, had, he he heard something we talked about, the hog nose, mm-hmm. and you mentioned that they had venom, mm-hmm. uh, specific venom. So his question was, if if you end up with your finger in the mouth, <laughs> which I question how we're going to do this, but <laughs> if I intentionally or accidentally end up with my finger in a hog-nosed snake and I get it far enough back that he can bite me with his uh, fangs, which are in the back of his mm-hmm. mouth, is, is that going to have the same effect as a rattlesnake or whatever on me? Sure. Good question. Uh, so the the short answer is No. Some of that is dependent on the person, depending on how, how sensitive they are. It's like a bee sting. Not everybody reacts to bee stings the same way. Uh, but generally, you know, the, the worst that's going to happen is maybe a little redness, swelling, itching. Um, but, no, it's it's not a medically significant bite at okay. all. Yeah. So unlock a rattle, which will get your attention. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I feel left out because you've got your Gadsden flag yes. rattlesnake hat on, and I believe you have a copperhead That's right. on yours. I don't have a snake hat. You need one. <laughs> I guess we can go out in the grass and find one and make a snake make hat. Make a snake hat. There, <laughs> you go. there you go. Yeah, I think we need to go out with some copperhead road, too, Gene, just uh, as, as, we're, as we're leaving here. Yeah, that's a good choice. Good choice. Uh, we've got a couple more minutes. This has been fun. Is there a book out there that uh, uh, an amateur who's not going to study snakes sure. can pick up and look at and and um, enjoy? Yeah, and I'm glad you asked that actually because there there was a caller towards the beginning of the show that that said something about you know learning these different things that we've talked about but forgetting them um, over the years. And so there's a couple of books that I think are great for people that, you know, either if you're really into snakes or even if you're just kind of casually into snakes, but you want to learn more about them, there's some great books. So the Peterson field guides, um, there's the reptiles and amphibians of Eastern and central North America. And that's really great. Got a lot of great information. Um, and then there's, um, a pair of books that were edited and written by, um, Matt, Nee Miller, Graham Reynolds, and Brian Miller. They're called The Reptiles of Tennessee, and then the other book is The Amphibians of Tennessee. So if you're interested in, in herpetology in general, those are great books. And then there's a book by Whit Gibbons called The Snakes of the Southeast, another great book. And all of these things can, can be picked up at Barnes & Noble or easily ordered online. Uh, but they're great resources, and, and there's there's some great online resources too. So the Tennessee Herpetological Society page has a lot of great information um, that's that's easily accessible. I just hope the snakes aren't pop-up books. <laughs> There's some of those too. Yeah, that would be bad. The, uh, you know, it's as a as a wildlife commissioner, 
I see a lot of people posting about killing snakes and stuff on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And, and I know we don't have the capacity to go after everybody that does that, but sure. it's just like uh, it's it's sad for me to see. Yeah, uh, i even as a hunter all these years, I don't like to just discriminately kill. Yeah, and uh, and I I just hate it when people kill snakes that are so vital to our ecosystem. Well, and that that's that's an important point. I think it's important to consider that. You know they are they are a part of the ecosystem, and they have just as much of a birthright to this planet as we do. And you know it's 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 like a it's like a finely tuned working um, machine. And, and if you remove a significant component of that machine, it's not going to function properly. And so snakes snakes are vitally important. So does does all this go back to Eve and and her and and, and the Bible and how snakes are depicted in in Genesis, and that's where it's just come through the years, or is this just you know uh, that's that's interesting because there's there's snake stories in in many different religions and, and right. it seems like snakes play an important role um, in in lots of these different stories and so yeah I, th- I think the the human component history there is really interesting for sure. Paul Eric, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Uh, you're you're going to come back if I have to come and drag you here myself. Happy to do it. This is this has been so cool. This has been great. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. Don't kill snakes. It's against the law in Tennessee, and they are needed in our system. Tony Sanders Outdoors, we'll see you next week. You have been listening to the podcast of the award-winning Tony Sanders Outdoors show. Please subscribe to our service to get updated shows weekly throughout the year. Like us on all the social medias to keep up with what's going on on Tony Sanders Outdoors.